This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. It's 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. I'm absolutely glad to be with you once again on a Monday, June 15th, middle of the month. And last night was an amazing backlash pay-per-view. I'll look back at that. And also a whole lot of other news that has kind of popped up over the weekend, including news about Evolve possibly shutting its doors down and going more towards WWE with the streaming service and everything in between. And also a lawsuit that was filed, which could wind up being very, very interesting down the road when it comes to this Saudi Arabia event. So we'll talk about that on a whole lot more. But let's get right down to it and get to what's causing all this right out the gate. And that is Backlash 2020, a show that's definitely got a lot of mixed reviews from a lot of different people. It was a solid show, I think, but I feel like you could have probably done without certain things on the card. Namely, I think we could have done without what happened with the Street Profits and Viking Raiders. It was just so dumb. First of all, it was so dumb. The fact that they actually did this in the middle of the show was a, like, it was supposed to be a tag team title match, but the teams just started brawling outside the performance center. Then you saw Akira Tozawa have, like, a team of ninja bikers. What the, everything about that sentence just does not make sense. I get it. They want to try and at least like shoehorn in at least one cinematic match a week or a month at least during pay-per-views. I think they overdid it. They did something that they shouldn't have done. It was just underwhelming. And I felt like at the end of the day, this was unnecessary. I could have done without it. Could have just done with a solid match that maybe could have ended in a no contest type fashion where they, these two continue to face off a little bit further down the road. This was very much like probably one of the most pointless things I've ever seen the WWE do with the cinematic matches. Boneyard, Firefly, Funhouse, hell, the Money in the Bank match. All those made sense. All those had like high stakes. This one, not so much, and it felt like they're continuing just to be comedic with this for the sake of being comedic. And I get it. You know, the Street Profits, they're entertaining as all get out. The Viking Raiders are entertaining. But do we really need to have the Viking Prophets become like an actual ongoing thing against these Ninja Warrior type things? It was very much like weird as all get out. It was probably the one thing that I can say WWE just seems to kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit and come up with a better idea of how to be able to do these cinematic wrestling matches. Because the cinematic matches, they're really cool, but at the same time, they underwhelm in a lot of different aspects. Namely, the, the, it felt like they were just low stakes with this. Hopefully, we get to see the Raw Tag Team match tonight on Monday Night Raw, the night after Backlash 2020. But let's go through the court in order real quick. First off, Apollo Crews beats Andrade. No surprise there. I was surprised this was your pre-show main event. But it was definitely a fun match nonetheless. Again, Apollo Crews, Andrade, they work well together. Apollo Crews still has that great new theme song. It, the theme song gets a lot of like mixed reviews, and people thought it was just a whole brand new song, but they had unveiled it last week during Raw, and people just completely forgot about it because basically Apollo Crews came out, cut a promo, and left. And then they had another more contenders match, and they kept showing him backstage. They could have just done without that moment. They could have just shown him 
kind of watching this number one contenders match with great attention. And they come out after the match to kind of jaw jack with Andrade. But still, a really fun match, not necessarily my absolute favorite of the night. Then we get to the triple threat tag team match for the women's tag team titles. And I booked this slightly wrong. I thought you'd see Bailey and Sasha retain, but you'd see Nikki Cross get the pin. To eat that pin. That way we can start building towards Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross starting to see kind of cracks in that relationship. Everybody was going with the Iconics. I was kind of glad that I didn't want to go with that route. I feel like Bailey and Sasha winning the titles a couple weeks ago and then taking it off of them just to give it to the Iconics or Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, give it to them right back, just would have been pointless. I think they're going to be slow burning the entire Bailey-Sasha Banks feud for further down the road once fans are going to be allowed into the arenas. That's going to be one thing you keep an eye on when it comes right down to it. Bailey-Sasha Banks... Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross, Iconics, really fun triple threat match, but honestly, no surprise, Bailey wins. Bailey and Sasha win the match, and Sasha actually gets the pin, which is, I believe, the first time she has ever been able to successfully retain her tag team or, or any title she's ever won at a pay-per-view in the main roster. Then we go to Sheamus, Jeff Hardy, a 16-minute battle, and it is absolutely outstanding. Sheamus beating Jeff Hardy Really fun match that honestly I wasn't that like kind of thrilled about heading into because of the drunk driving angle and the it, first of all the fact that they literally ripped off an angle they did 13 14 years ago I just was absolutely furious about because this like the exact same thing on SmackDown happened with Shawn Michaels back in 2006 and I could not stop laughing because I was like they literally did this exact same thing right down to the punchline. Better to be pissed off than to be pissed on. I was like, what is going on here? Why are we redoing something that happened 14 years ago? This was 2006, Shawn Michaels. And the pun was funny, but at the end of the day, it did not need to happen. 16 minutes, maybe a little bit too long, but honestly, when you look at the rest of the card, this was like relatively a classic, if you will. I mean, 16 minutes, really fun match. Didn't necessarily kind of make you think about a lot of different things. When it comes to the storyline, it was definitely Sheamus won. The story continues with Jeff Hardy, hopefully going to get his comeuppance at Extreme Rules, which, by the way, has a very unusual kind of graphic to it. I wasn't necessarily a fan of the fact that they did the graphic where it looks like the old Hardy Boys, the purple and green type of um, uh, color, color effect. It's just not my type of thing, but still fun match. And then we go to the Raw Women's title match that goes to a double countout. And one of the big reasons why I like to do the pickums is because it's easier to keep track of whenever I do my pickums for a wrestling pickum league I'm a part of. And this was actually kind of thrown out entirely due to the fact that, again, this ended in a double countout, and I wasn't a fan of that. Now, again, this continues the feud with Oscar Nia Jax into Extreme Rules. But honestly, I'm surprised this is going to continue. I think, honestly, I would have ended this feud and then move on to Charlotte Flair because that's the next big thing that Asuka is potentially going to have to deal with come Extreme Rules or even SummerSlam. I think Nia Jax could have just done without being a part of this feud and being part of this entire angle. That being said, I was looking forward to seeing what was going to happen with this match if they were going to give Nia Jax the rub. And then you have Nia Jax win the title over Asuka immediately after she wins it. Thankfully, that didn't happen. And we see Asuka and Nia 
ended a double countout. Hopefully down the road, we see a match where it's no disqualification. Obviously, with Extreme Rules coming up, that's going to be the the big thing. You won't see this match end in like a dubious fashion. At least you would think so, because Extreme Rules has occasionally lost a little bit of that meaning. Looking over at the Universal title match, the two-on-one handicap match, The Miz and John Morrison, underwhelming. I'll say that much. Because it did again, I didn't necessarily like this at all. And the finish was basically, I have to say, Morrison put on like a great work rate in this match. The way he was able to do all the parkour stuff and keeping things entertaining, he was damn good. But it just did not mean much to me to see a two on one handicap match for the Universal title. Braun Strowman retains, no surprise there. Now, do you just wonder what's going to happen next with? Braun Strowman is the fiend feud going to continue going forward what's going to happen next with those guys because I, there's a lot of different questions surrounding Braun Strowman and the universal title because now that he's gotten rid of Miz and Morrison at least somewhat what happens to him what's going to be going on with him next and then you look at the WWE WWE title match this was so damn good Braun Strowman versus Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Lashley excuse me Drew McIntyre, Claymore kick, no surprise, but it was just a really fun match that continued to build the storyline where like Lashley is going to leave Lana in this storyline, and we see Bobby Lashley, MVP, start to build up a little bit of a stable. At least that was what I would hope. It just feels like, to me, they're setting up for a big-time main event Type of a type of stable like the Beatdown Clan back in the TNA days, and this could be that setup where we see Bobby Lashley and MVP start building a Beatdown Clan of sorts and try to take down Drew McIntyre because I think Drew McIntyre can be the top face on the Raw roster, and we've seen him be able to just really change overnight. Because I saw him perform the week before the Royal Rumble at the Cage Dome, and he was playing a heel. He was working a heel, but he got a huge reaction. He's just a huge draw. He's be able to kind of make that turn to babyface without you even kind of realizing he was a babyface because he was working heel before WrestleMania. He was working heel before the Royal Rumble, before he won, and now that he's facing Brock, uh, faced Brock Lesnar and beat him, he's becoming more over, and they're booking him at least somewhat better than I thought. That being said, I'm sure they're going to screw it up somehow, some way. But then comes the match that I think everybody absolutely loved and they had a lot of hype surrounding the main event of the match of the show and it was the world's greatest the greatest wrestling match ever they kept pumping that up and supposedly this is going to be planned for SummerSlam according to some rumor innuendo which honestly I'm kind of surprised it wasn't what we saw with kind of the crown jewel situation which we'll probably get to a little bit later but at the end of the day, I think this was a match that lived up to the hype. It lived up to those expectations. Now, was it a main event type of few? Was it the main event of main events? Did you see this become a five, six-star classic like we've seen Okada, Omega? No, but it was solid enough. And these guys went at it for 44 minutes. Probably one of the longest one-on-one matches with no gimmicks know nothing to it i've seen in a long time wwe put together 44 minutes or really fun stuff i'll i'll say this this is the one thing that i was kind of like just wanted to complain about the fact that they were using other wrestlers signature moves in the match i understand why they did it 
But I just did not like the fact that they kept going to the well with that a little one too many times. Sometimes you just go to the well one too many times. It's a wee bit underwhelming. But Randy Orton wins. No surprise there. I felt like Randy Orton was going to get the win. Sadly, though, Edge is actually out now with a torn tricep. So get well soon. Edge, hopefully you can be back down the road. Because that's going to be the next big thing to see what the WWE is going to do with Randy Orton now. Because this is like Randy Orton years after probably he had like his last really solid match. Randy Orton had kind of phoned it in, mailed it in, and we saw Randy Orton step his game up to another level. And it was probably one of the best wrestling matches I've seen on WWE television in a while on shows not with the branding of NXT. Because NXT TakeOvers, they have had five-star matches. But I think Randy Orton Edge probably... I'm giving a prediction right here right now when it comes to the Dave Meltzer star ratings. This is going to get like a four and three quarters. I feel like if this were probably 15 minutes shorter and it gets down to about 30 minutes, this could probably be a five-star match because 44 minutes, it just feels, it just went on a little bit too long. You don't see the Shawn Michaels-John Cena match, which went almost an hour with commercial breaks, obviously, get five-star reviews, but it gets a lot of love. This is going to be a match that gets a lot of love, but it's not the greatest wrestling match ever. In fact, I'd probably say it's not the greatest match of the last week in pro wrestling, especially with WWE. Because SmackDown had Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles for the Intercontinental title, and that went 30 minutes with commercial breaks, obviously, but that was a strong-ass match. And it made you want to root for what's going to go on with AJ Styles going forward, what's the angle with him, the angle with Daniel Bryan. There's a lot of different storylines that they're going to start building towards with these two, because I think this is going to be a little bit of a longer-term feud, and maybe Matt Riddle joins in on the fun. I, I'm i all the way looking forward to seeing what the Intercontinental title picture looks like now after what I saw on SmackDown. Probably one of the best SmackDown matches I've seen since the Iron Man match back in 03. And my just because of the fact that I think after that match and Brock Lesnar left, it felt like SmackDown had lost a little bit of the luster, and then they kind of became eventually a Raw recap show. So there was a while where there wasn't really a must-see match from SmackDown, but this was one of those that you need to go back and, and go in the DVR and watch a couple times to realize that it was probably the best match of the week if you're talking strictly WWE. And I'd probably say, just from a wrestling perspective, this was solid. But Randy Orton Edge, greatest wrestling match ever? No, but one hell of a statement from guys who are in their 40s still able to crush it. I mentioned earlier there is a new lawsuit filed against the WWE, and apparently it has to do with the Saudi shows. Because the WWE had a very big issue when it came to returning from this from Saudi back to stateside following the big event. They were not allowed to leave. And according to the lawsuit, claims the company had very important facts about their relationship with Saudi Arabia. And Dave Meltzer discussed this. It was said by an unnamed superstar in the lawsuit that WWE did everything they could to deny this story. And he stated that wrestlers spoke to journalists, but the company denied those reports as well. And things got even worse when superstars said that they didn't want to go back to Saudi Arabia and basically said, you know, after the event, he said that he and the wrestlers and a co-worker went straight to talent relations and said they wouldn't go back to Saudi Arabia and that other wrestlers tried to do the same. But WWE abused their power and the future trajectory of their careers if they did not go. And this is huge because they largely dismissed any 
stories about any real issues in Saudi Arabia, and they've dismissed them as conspiracy theories. Now that there's a lawsuit out there, there's going to be a lot more stories in terms of what's going to happen with all these guys and what's going to what's going to wind up occurring. I'm blown away by the fact that there was actually a lawsuit in place, and I'm absolutely interested to see how this whole storyline is going to go, how the story is going to be developing. Because, of course, there's a lot of other kind of just twisted turns in this to where who's going to go where? What's going to happen next with the WWE and this former superstar that just recently sued? It's going to be something a little bit like something to keep an eye on and put, put a pin in and we'll probably get to it a little bit further down the road if we don't see a settlement out of court. But another big thing that happened as of late is WWE looks to be in significant talks to purchase Evolve Wrestling owned by Gabe Sapolsky. There have been reports that Evolve is ready to sell, sell their type library and perhaps all of their assets to WWE. Neither have confirmed or denied the story, but I think there's something actually going to happen with this because of one reason. Well, two reasons, actually. One, I've heard from numerous sources, Gabe Sapolsky has always wanted to work with WWE a lot like Paul Heyman. And I think we wind up seeing them work together. We see a partnership to where they get the deal done. And we see the WWE have their videos, have their old videos to work for their premium service. Because again, the network is starting to set themselves up for a new era of the network where you have premium stuff like evolve, like over the top and all these other independent promotions that they've since like kind of absorbed. That's going to be what happens next. We see that we see that moving forward. And then we've got new Japan pro wrestling. They return to action this morning. I haven't watched it yet, but I've been able to kind of see the results and I've heard nothing but good things about new Japan pro wrestling. Their together project special it was a lot of tag matches. We talked about it with Jeremy Donovan of Keeping It Strong Style last week, and we both agree this is probably going to be a more tag team-oriented match as opposed to stuff we've seen in the past. And here's a quick rundown of what's happened. Yoda, I'm going to butcher this name, Yoda Tsuji defeated Gabriel Kidd. Suzuki Gun of El Dorado and Yoshinobu beat, it, beat Ishii and Yuji Uemura. Bullet Club, the team of Jado Gato Ishimori and Yujiro Takahashi beat Chaos slash New Japan Army, Tomoaki Hanma, Yoshihashi, Toroyano, and Hiroki Goto. That would probably be one heck of a match. And then you had the Taguchi Japan, New Japan Army of Raisuki Taguchi, Satoshi Kojima, Hiroshi Tenzan beat Los Inglornables de Japón in Bushi, Sonata, and Evil. We'll get to LIJ in just a little bit. Because that's how the main event was. It was the top guys from Los Ingornables de Japón, Hiromu Takahashi, Shingo Takaki, and Tetsuya Naito. They beat Chaos, Shoyo, and Okada. That set, and that set up something interesting whenever the show ended, where there was a little bit of tension between the company. Now, again, the, between those two stables. Now, with New Japan Cup coming up, it's obvious that this might just be kind of a smokescreen, and you see these New Japan guys, and more importantly, the group that is Los Inglornables de Japón, kind of move forward in a different direction to where they're not necessarily as worried about kind of the faction breaking up, but it's more about the competitive edge and being able to compete 
against your guys to determine who is the best in New Japan and try and get a shot at both of those titles. It doesn't matter if it's an LIJ guy, Chaos, whatever Naito, whatever stables Naito's a part of, that's going to cause a rift in that stable, but it's not going to be a huge ordeal where they're going to wind up losing leadership further down the road. And that's going to do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hope you leave a nice review for us. Five stars. If you're in the Tokyo Dome right now, I'd give you a lot of credit for being there, but also give us six stars if you're out there in the Tokyo Dome. More importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play Podcast. Just search 103.7 The Game. You'll be able to get that, along with all the other great content that we got, like the Louis Prejean Podcast, the Rap Game Podcast, all of our regular shows. We got so many different things that you can listen to, and we'll talk to you next time.